And the focus of our message was what a responsive heart looks like. What it looks like when we, when we have a heart that responds to the calling of God. When God places a burden on your heart. And we started into the life of, of Nehemiah. Um, and how he was ready to go. How he was ready to respond to the call of God. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about what a responsive body looks like. And that is, when we have a bunch of hearts put together, what that should look like. So, the video that you watch gives us a little bit of idea of where we're going. What it, what it looks like to have a bunch of people ready to respond. Uh, you get this explosive chain reaction. So why don't we start off with a word of prayer and then we'll kind of get into where we're going this morning. Our Father God, we thank you so much that you are, are gracious to us. You are gracious uh, despite so much uh, hurt and pain that the community is dealing with, God, you, you show so much love. And I just pray that you would help us as a body of Christ here, as one body of Christ among many, God, that we would be able to be responsive uh, to your words and what you want us to hear. We, we would be ready to go where you want us to go, God, and do whatever you want us to do. Um, so I pray that your words would speak to us, all of us, this morning, uh, through our hearts, and that we'd be ready to receive it. Um, and I just pray that you bless the whole service, the time of share that we have together. You would unite us together, um, shoulder to shoulder, before we go back out into our community. Thank you for your chance to look at the life of Nehemiah and everything that he shows us, God, as this person that we submitted to you. So thank you, and I pray you be with me this morning. Amen. All right, so the life of Nehemiah is uh, it's an interesting one. And we had talked about it, I'm not going to go into it too much. Nehemiah was just, he was an average, average, average as you can get, man. He was a cupbearer to the king. Um, but God placed a, a call on his heart. And the most important part about that is that he responded to that call. And that's what we kind of spent the whole sermon on last week, was getting into that, what it looks like to, to respond when God speaks. Um, and we finished our story basically where that call of God met the opportunity that God put before him. When he's sitting there in front of the king and the, the king begins to ask him why he's looking down and while he's looking sad and his opportunity arrives where he could, he could pour out his heart before the king of the known world and as it says there in, in the finishing verses uh, that, we, that we said there, the good hand of his God was upon him because God spoke to the king's heart and the king granted him everything he gave him the permission to get timber from his forest, he gave him the permission to have protection and everything all the way through um, and the interesting thing that we had talked about is that uh, God doesn't, he, he's not interested in, in grabbing a group of people as a whole. He wants, he wants individuals that are ready to respond. And God's not interested in, in the position that you're in. Uh, I said that a church isn't as strong as its pastors, its religious leaders, as, as the people in, in leadership, as some people often go around looking for a church that's got a, a doctrinal pastor. A church is as strong as the amount of hearts inside that are willing to submit to their God. 
Second uh, Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that He may strongly support those whose heart is completely His. So what does it look like to have a heart that, that is ready to respond? You know, that's the heart that God is looking for. And He got Nehemiah from halfway across the world to come and do what He wanted him to do. To rebuild this wall in Jerusalem that was laying in burnt rubble. We talked about... Um, the people in our community, in our circles last week, and how, how do we respond personally to the people that, that we are in contact with. We talked about small steps. Um, just starting with praying for one person, twice a day. Anybody have a chance to, to just spend some time in prayer? Anybody have a chance to just notice a difference in somebody that you were interacting with this week? Anybody? We could have time to share, share later on at the end of the service. But I'd be interested to see what God's doing in this community through us. What God's doing in our hearts through our prayers and our readiness to be responsive to Him. So let's pick up on the story of Nehemiah today because we're going to move from the individual now into how we as a church body function how we as a church body respond to God and respond to each other. So I'm going to start, uh, Luke read in chapter 4, we're going to start in chapter 2, verse 9. Just to give you the dialogue of how the story is progressing. It says, Then I came to the governor's province beyond the river, and I gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers in the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem, and I was there three days. And I arose in the night, and a few men with me, and I told, told no one what my God had put on my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one which I rode. I went out by night to the valley gate, to the dragon spring, and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down, and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. And I went to the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal to even pass under me. And I went up by night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and I entered by the valley gate, and so I returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest were to do the work. But then I said to them, <clears throat> You see the trouble that we are in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my mighty God, that had been upon me for good, and also the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hand for the good work. Okay? So he comes there, he does an inspection on the wall, he sees everything laying down, and he gets a plan. And he comes basically as the messenger, and he says, Look, this is what I know right now. I was a cupbearer, and God has sent me on this mission. He explains them exactly what has happened and how God has, has put this on his heart 
and how God has covered his steps all the way through. He explains to them um, how the king had supplied the lumber. Everything's taken care of. And the key point here is that they hear his words and the people are ready. They've been sitting uh, for years amongst the rubble of these walls, over 70 years that these walls have been broken down. The religious leaders and nobody had done anything at this point. But when they hear this and they realize that, hey, God is in this, then they respond. And it says that they put their hands, they strengthen their hands for the good work. It's important to know that um, the way God has designed the church to act and to move and to get things done is in the heart of the individual. I said last week that every uh, corporate revival begins with steps of singular individual obedience. You can see it actually further in, in this story in itself, how acts of obedience have an impact on a chain reaction uh, you guys know the story of Esther. Well, Esther was, she was the queen of Susa, the same, the same spot that Nehemiah came from. And we know that in the story of Esther, she had a moment of, of choice where she could go before the king. And that's where we have that verse that we're familiar with that uh, Mordecai had spoken to her, that for such a time as this, what if for such a time as this, God has placed you here for this decision? And she goes before the king with boldness, and uh, she makes her plea. The effects of that not only had an impact on the story that we read in Esther, but um, on this story too, because Esther would actually have been the stepmother of King Artaxerxes that sent Nehemiah on his way. Artaxerxes would have grown up with Esther as as the queen in his household. And I'm going to take a wager that she probably had a pretty good impact on him softened his heart towards the Jewish people. Hearts obedient to God have this explosive effect, much like the video that I just showed you. The impact of, of one heart responding has an effect on another heart that responds. And you can tra- trace it back in your own life if you think about it. Um, I'm sure you can all think of a time that a speaker came to a school you were at, a church you were at, at some point, and a speaker spoke words of God that penetrated your heart. I have a mic there now. I have to remember that. I used to my mic being up here, and I'm going to hit this thing. It penetrated to your heart, and, and it sent you into action. Maybe it reshaped um, different state steps in your life. Well, that, that man that came and spoke, or that woman that came and spoke, well, she had been called by God, or sent by God by somebody else. The church is meant to respond that way. But let me tell you, it would respond so much more drastically and explosively if everybody's heart was sensitive. In this, uh, this video you guys watched, the influence of one ping pong ball creates a response in multiple others and it sets it off. Um, the power of God that he gives us in the gospel is meant to be an explosive power. Uh, in, you know what? I wasn't going to do this, but Romans, Romans 1, 16. You know the verse... Uh, 
Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of God, of Christ. For it is the power of God. The actual word for the power of God there is, in, in Greek, it's dynamos, which is where we get the word dynamite. It's an explosive power that, that God has placed within us. And he has formed his church on this explosive power that picture of the ping pong balls going has been used in many science classes. You might have seen something like that again and again to, to describe nuclear fission. How it happens when uh, a neutron divides an atom. It's this chain reaction. It, it, it collides with an atom. It splits it. And when it splits it, it goes in different directions and it hits more and it just creates this chain reaction. And every time that that atom splits, um, it doesn't split whole. This part of it is burned up, creating a bit of heat. And this is how we get an A-bomb, because all this collision happening creates great heat, great force. This is how God's designed the church to be. Dynamite. Power of God. So let's look at Nehemiah's act of obedience, because his act of obedience showed the hand of God to these people, and in turn... These people responded, and they responded together. They responded in, as individuals together, responding to the heart of God. The first thing um, that I noticed is that they responded in a united workforce. Now, when you get into this um, in Nehemiah, you get into these names and these lists, and oftentimes it can get be something to pass over. It's like, oh, a bunch of names I can't pronounce, and we skip over a lot of it. Uh, but you miss a lot of stuff if you skip through these, these lists of the, of the people that are involved here. In Nehemiah 3.1, as soon as Nehemiah said this to the people and they took up their hands to work, 3.1 starts and it says, Then Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brothers, the priest, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and they set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. Next to him, the men of Jericho built. Next to him, uh, next to them, Zachur, the son of Imri, built. Okay, so it starts instantly uh, with the high priest, Eliashib, comes in and he says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead the example. Thankfully, the high priest jumps in and he sets the example and he begins to build this chief gate. And it says right there, shoulder to shoulder, next to him, so-and-so built. Next to him, so-and-so built. It's a chain reaction. They all started jumping on board. And as we read through chapter 3 here, uh, we see this diverse group of people jumping in on this. Chapter 3, verse 5, next to them, uh, the Tekoites repaired. Sadly, it says, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. 3, verse 8, next to him, Uziel, son of... Herahiah, man, I, I should have had Luke read this stuff. I gave him the easy stuff, and I'm stuck with carrying the load here. Next time. Uh, Uziel, son of Herahiah, goldsmiths repaired. So we've got goldsmiths in there. Also in the same verse, Hananiah, one of the perfumers repaired. We've got perfumers, we've got goldsmiths. Next to them in 3.9, uh, Raphaiah, son of Hur, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. So we've got dignitaries, rulers. They're all in on the job. 
Next to him, 312, Shalom, the son of Halohesh, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem. So the other half, he repaired, and I love this, he repaired he and his daughters. They're out there. We've got a family involved in it. Get Glenn Ranks out there with his daughters. 3 verse 17, after him the Levites repaired. we got the religious leaders are in on it. 332, between them the upper chambers and the corner of the sheep gate, goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. And then last one I mentioned in Nehemiah 5.16, Nehemiah says, I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all of my servants were gathered there for the work. So what we see is this, if you were to look at this from a distance, you got this this workforce that's composed of, of men, women, children, whatever it might be, dignitaries, the priests, everybody's in on it, they're moving rubble, they're getting it done. They're all responding to the to the call of God on their hearts to do what needs to be done. And I, let me tell you, if you were the nations surrounding them, and if you were watching this, the priests out there with their robes lifting these rocks, and these, this guy with his daughters that was the ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, it would be something else to see. It would be pretty impressive to see how this worked. But this is how God's designed his people to work together. Have you ever been up to Mountain Meadows Bible Camp on a Tuesday work day? If not, you'll you get a picture. You get a group of all these different kind of guys, ladies up there sometimes, all working together to get a job done. you got anything from engineers to mailmen, and, uh, and they're getting it done. Because God has designed the body to respond for two purposes, to get the work done, but also to show the world that there's something crazy going on here that's got everybody united into one. One massive explosion. The second thing I wanted to point out to you guys as we read through this, uh, well, let's read chapter 3, verse 23, and you'll get the picture here. Three twenty-three. After them, Benjamin the son of Hashab repaired opposite of their house. After them, Azariah son of Masaiah son of Ananiah repaired beside his own house. It's interesting as we go through this list, and I can continue. Uh, Three twenty-eight above the horse gate, the priest repaired each one opposite his own house. After him, uh, Meshulam, the son of Barakiah, repaired opposite his own chamber. And you go through this list, and this is a pattern that continues on. They build in front of their house. They build in front of their sphere, what's in front of them, what they're in contact with. What they walk out of their house every day, what they see, they're going to build the wall, fortify the wall in front of their life. What's, what's in front of them, what they come in contact with. And I think this is an important part in the church that we, we can get caught up in the wrong areas. There's a great amount of work that needs to be done. God didn't design us to be a bunch of busy bees running around throwing stones here and throwing stones here. God designed it in a pattern where you have something called a family unit that he's given you a, a sphere of influence with you, your family, or those that you come in contact with. And he says, start building here and work your way out from there. When we think of, um, of the, 
the work that needs to be done, and especially right now. I'll, I'll make it clear that a time of disaster doesn't change the responsibility of the church. The responsibility of the church is always the same. But right now, the time of disaster is when the purpose of the church is made clear to us, and it's made clear to those who are watching the church. The workload's great. You see these pictures, or you get out there and you serve with Samaritan's Purse. Um, tragedy brings about so many needs, so many hearts that, that need to be shown love. Sometimes when we see the amount of work uh, to be done around us, it can bring about a, a certain amount of emotion. Sometimes it can make us feel a little bit overwhelmed. Sometimes what happens um, in our spheres is that we, we can get a certain amount of guilt that is associated with not doing enough, where we can, be, we can have our hands in ten different things, ten different ministries, and we see somebody come to us and say, oh, look, look at these pictures of what we we're doing, and we get ourselves to a feeling like, oh, I wish I could have been doing that, I should have been doing that. And so what we end up doing a lot of times is we stretch ourselves out over a bunch of different ministries. We can stretch ourselves, the danger is that we can stretch ourselves to a point that we're putting stones on walls all around the city and the wall in front of our house lays in rubble. And I've seen it again and again um, with people in ministry that there's a danger, I guess, in, in abandoning your post to help multiple areas while the walls of your house they broken down. We can stretch ourselves so thin trying to serve here to accomplish a great work and yet our walls aren't aren't built up or fortified in our in our life where we start. The principle here is is to start from your home and work out. Start start from your home. Start with your family. That's how God created the family unit, the power and in starting from your home that he's created and working your way out from there. I have seen um, examples, unfortunately, of, of families that have father and mother in two different ministries, um, full-time ministries, uh, doing the Lord's work. And, and at home, these kids now, now full-grown have to... The amount of bitterness that you have going on between the two of them, there's a lot of hurt that's happened. And a lot of that can happen if, if you're stretching yourself thin, trying to, to spread yourself in ministries while not building the wall at home. God designed a family to be a workforce. If everyone fortifies the wall around their family, the scope of influence, and guess what? The walls begin to join together. Okay? If everybody in the church starts with what they are, are in contact with, if everybody in the church starts with their sphere, their family, their grandchildren, their workplace, their daily activities, the people they come in contact with, you start there and you fortify those walls. You build into those people. And the walls begin to join together. And that's what we see happening here. We read in some of these that so-and-so built from the door of, of his neighbor's house to the end of his house. Shoulder to shoulder, building shoulder to shoulder. 
The secondary effect of this, though, is that your families are meant to be working together. And we see that here, as I read in 3.12, that this ruler of Jerusalem, he's out there with his daughters. There's so much more impact when your family is on board and you're all serving together. You could accomplish the Lord's work in such a great way. So these people are building, and they're building shoulder to shoulder, but there's a problem that comes. A halt in the progress. Unfortunately, Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 1 says, Now there arose a great outcry in the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. And if you read chapter 5, I'm just going to sum it up. Essentially, the process comes to immediate halt because they call to Nehemiah and, and start to list a bunch of extortion that's been happening for years from brother to brother. And they start to list a, this long list of bitterness and quarreling that's happening among, among the people until it comes to a point where the work is shut down because uh, the people were in poverty because of the king's taxes on their land and so they had to borrow from their, their fellow brothers and those fellow brothers would hold it to them until they were out of money and then they were actually taking their, their sons and daughters as slaves to work off the debt and they said, hey, this extortion is killing us and there was bitterness amongst the body there was fighting, there was quarreling and the process of rebuilding in the Lord's work came to a halt. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, that you be united in the same mind, in the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. the effectiveness of the church is completely destroyed by factions, by quarreling, by disagreements, and by bitterness. 1 Timothy 2.8, I desire that in every place men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. Guys, there's a, there's a great power when the community sees a group of people as diverse as, as this body is here. We've got people from all over the world. We've got people from all over in different backgrounds, different job styles. And when the community sees um, a group of people like this that aren't quarreling, that are, that are together in spirit, and that are on the same mind, same mission, it's, it's impactful. It's something that the world has never seen. If we were to take it to a greater scale, though, especially in a time of tragedy like this, because honest, if I were to be honest, our church, in this area, our church is closer than any church I've ever been in. How about our community? How about the, the community of Shasta County? Because in a time of, of tragedy like this, there's a different kind of power that, that you see when a bunch of different churches from all different styles and all different colors and different um, different beliefs to a certain extent are all on board and they're all working. There's an impact in that too. And it's in these times that the world that's hurting begins to see that, wow, these Christians really are up to something. 
Because unfortunately, Oak Grove is not the only representation of Christianity, is it? And when people see churches working, they're going to be representing Christianity as a whole. How do we work together with the churches around us? How do we figure out what the majors are and the minors are? And how do we work together? United in purpose. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 19, the next thing I want to point out in the section that Luke was reading. Actually, you know what? I'm going to back up to where Luke read verse 16. The quarreling amongst the body, Nehemiah's solution was simple. He just said, stop it. <laughs> and, he, and he commanded them and, and he said, look, you guys need to forgive the debts that you have. You need to give whatever you've taken back. Let the daughters and the sons go back to their parents. You need to cut out the bitterness. Because we've got a Lord's work to do. And we need to get back on board. So they pick up the work. The reason why it's out of order is because they give kind of a chronology of how it's going. And then they cover um, some of the stories in, in between, just so you know. Verse 16 of chapter 4. From that day on, half of my servants worked on the construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had a sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread and we are separated on the wall far from each other. And one, oh, in the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there and our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work. Half of them held spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. There's this principle here. And I've labeled the closing of this rally to the trumpet. And this is, this is something that's powerful for the church to understand. The rally to the trumpet. God has given us a work to be done. There's a great work that needs to be done in this community. You have all had a chance to interact with people that are hurting. And some of the stories that you hear and the people that, that are, have lost everything, it's heartbreaking to really get into whether people that you've come in contact with have lost something or they're neighbors with somebody that have lost something. How do we be there for them? How do we be there for the people that are in our sphere of influence, the people we come in contact with? How do we be ready? I was talking to a lady this last week whose house was saved, but she was the neighbor to the house um, where the kids and the great-grandmother were burned. And the guilt that this lady was carrying on her shoulders um, stopped. She was just explaining to me in tears how um, she thought her and her husband were the last to evacuate 
was age was seven. And when they were driving out of their driveway, the car was gone out of the driveway, and the house had just, had just started to burn. She said, I had no clue that there was people in that house. You think about the hurt, um, the guilt, and the emotions that somebody like that is having to deal with. Our community has has got a lot of a lot of emotions going wild right now, and you don't know who you're going to come in contact with. At that point, I didn't even know I was next to that house. I didn't know who I was working for, and all of a sudden, it hit me. Are we ready? Are we ready to respond? Are we ready to be there? God has given us a call to rally where the need is. This is how the church is supposed to function. This is what I was saying last week. We come here on Sunday. We gather shoulder to shoulder on Sunday. We share with each other. We hear from the word of God. And then we go back to our homes, to our sphere where we build our walls. And you build in front of your house until you hear the trumpet call. And when you hear the trumpet call, this is how God created the church to be. We all rally to the trumpet. When we hear there's a need, we meet the need. This is why we have things like the prayer chain. Prayer chain is a trumpet call. We're separated on our homes throughout the week in our circle of influence. And when we hear the call of God, we're to be there in an instant to fight, to protect, and to work, to comfort, whatever it might be. In a moment, um, when I'm finished with the message, we go into our time of share, and I, I pray that's what it is. This is our time where we're coming back together. I said last week that the church should function as the inhaling and exhaling of God. That that we we come in like God's breathing us in, and when He breathes us back out. And this is our time where we get shoulder to shoulder and we share with each other what are the needs. Who do we come in contact with? Who do we brush against this week that needed prayer? Did we have a chance to influence somebody? Respond to God, respond to each other. That's how the, that's, that's the church right there. How, it's all based on how we respond to God and how we respond to each other. I want to close out with um, the same picture I started with, but I want to get you guys to see it live here. I, I want you to I want to leave you with a visual of what it looks like to have an explosive church. Right? I want you guys to see the visual. That could have been bad. God's designed for an explosive church. Of a responsive church, um, the impact of, of one heart that, that receives the word of God. Everybody in the front row, you guys better watch out. Okay?
Ready? Everybody's dying here. You know something? Um, I hate setting mouse traps. I absolutely hate setting mouse traps because like, it consumes me with fear of getting snapped, right? It makes me kind of panicky. I'm afraid of getting hurt. I'm afraid of getting snapped. Um, so I actually didn't set the traps. And I'm starting to think that that might have had an impact on the effectiveness of my model demonstration here. My point is actually this. A mouse trap is created for a purpose. You guys are all so disappointed. A mouse trap is created for a purpose, okay? And it will accomplish that purpose very well if it is armed, if it is sensitive, and if it is ready to respond, okay? So often, God's church is full of unarmed mousetraps. And we come here, and we're, we're expecting and we're hoping to be filled. We're expecting to catch something, and we're expecting to be shown our purpose. But our purpose can never be accomplished unless we are armed and we're sensitive to listen. And, and ready to respond in action. So I want you to remember this anticlimactic drop here because that's what our church can be if we come here and we're expecting to catch something without being sensitive and ready to respond to what God actually throws our way. Okay? When we go out to our world this week, We've got to be ready to respond because here's the power of the church. We're not all the same mousetrap. It's so much more than that. There's no picture that can really describe what we are. A mousetrap is created for a purpose and every one of these is created for the same purpose. You are all created for a different purpose. And when you're ready to respond in the purpose that God created you, the explosion is incredible. The effectiveness is incredible. Everybody feeds off of each other. But we got to be armed and ready. We got to be ready to be used. We got to be sensitive to that moment because the moments come and they go so fast. Let's go. Our Heavenly Father, um, I thank you again for another chance that we could just gather together, that we could share that we can get into your word and we can see what you have for us next. And I pray for my heart and I pray for everybody's heart in here, God, that this week we would, we would be sensitive to what's in front of us. We don't know what we're going to come in contact with, God. We really don't. 
who are out there working in this workplace, and I know probably a lot of us, um, are working in some way or another with these people that are affected by the fire. Help us to be sensitive to those moments, God, that we would be ready to respond in action. Help us to be sensitive as a church body, God, to the, to the call of the trumpet, that we would be ready to respond to each other, God, and help and, and rally together. And help us to build in front of our houses, God, fortify our walls. We love you and thank you so much for the power that you give us in your word. And we pray this in your name.